everybody, it is Wednesday, January 15th, 2019, and you're listening to another episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I am your host, Brad Azalek, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, we're going to talk about some trucks and SUVs, because that's where the news is at this week. Uh, the fine folks over at Hyundai and Kia have pulled the wraps off the Genesis GV80, their long-awaited luxury SUV entrant. Uh, boy, is it a special vehicle. GMC also had a bunch of announcements out in Colorado. Uh, they pulled the wraps off a new Yukon, which is a new Yukon. It's a pretty nice thing, as well as a special version of the Canyon pickup truck. Uh, we'll touch on both of those as well. In the car culture thing, I wanted to touch on a story that's been kind of bouncing around the internet over the past 24 hours or so, uh, which is about millennials and car purchases. Uh, millennials and Gen Z, I guess, technically. Uh, apparently now the financial analysts think we're going to bail out the auto industry. Uh, I've got some thoughts about that hypothesis because I don't know. It's making a lot of assumptions that are still uh, pretty big assumptions. And then last up, in kind of car whatever, I heard my dad bought a pickup truck. Some thoughts on that purchase as well. So with all that in mind, guys, after the bump, we'll talk about some of the car news. First up in the news segment, talking about the Genesis GV80. Uh, we've touched on the GV80 on this podcast before, but now we've got some more official uh, news and information, uh, albeit with a little bit of caveat. Uh, Hyundai pulled the wraps off for the Korean spec GV80, which might be a little different from what we end up seeing in the United States. Uh, the basics, though, are pretty simple. It's a rear-wheel drive architecture that's got a... Uh, unibody SUV setup. It sounds like that the rear-wheel drive architecture that's beneath it is related to what's under the new G90 sedan, uh, but it's not entirely clear if it's an all-new thing or just an evolution of what's currently made available. Uh, it will be available as a rear or all-wheel drive option. Uh, it's going to be capable and I'm going to put that in really big air quotes uh, for a luxury SUV. Uh, more than likely, this thing's going to be good in the snow. It'll get you up some dirt roads. It'll get you out to the cabin. Uh, but this thing's not going to be climbing mountains in any way, shape, or form. Uh, in terms of powertrains, it looks like Korea is going to have a diesel four-cylinder option. There will also be a twin-turbo V6. Looks like it's the 3.3-liter engine uh, that's pretty well known in the uh, Hyundai and Kia lineup as it currently stands. Uh, that engine will probably be the base version here in the U.S., just like it is with the uh, G80 and G90 sedans. Uh, but what is interesting is that Hyundai didn't show off a V8 version of the vehicle. I would have figured the Tau V8 would have been, well, the most common uh, engine option, but mum's the word so far. Uh, I do hope that Genesis is at least thinking about it to kind of make this a little bit more of a clear competitor to, say, uh, a Lexus GX470. But... Uh, that kind of remains to be seen. Things could always change. They're, they're really good at adapting these vehicles to the different markets that they go into. And, you know, if people are clamoring for a different engine option later on, I'm sure they'd be happy to update it. 
Uh, as far as other details about the vehicle go, well, you know, it's kind of meant to be Genesis, Genesis's, oh my gosh, that's a weird thing to say, uh, luxury full-size SUV. They haven't really had an option in that market. They feel like the Genesis brand has really suffered without having a luxury SUV. And more or less, this is going to be going to the meat of the market. So this is going to be competing with the likes of uh, the Mercedes-Benz GLE, uh, the BMW X5, maybe the X7, uh, the <clears throat> Audi Q7, uh, maybe to some extent, at least here in the U.S., thinking of American brands, uh, definitely the uh, Lincoln, uh, what I guess it would be the Navigator, the new Cadillac Escalade when that shows up, the GMC Yukon, you know, vehicles like that. Now, the Escalade and the Yukon might be a little too big, but uh, more or less, it, it it's on the bigger end of SUVs. It's kind of hard to tell, I'll be honest with you, with the GV80. Uh, some of the videos and photos of the vehicle make it look very large. Uh, it makes it look like a three-row SUV. Other photos and video uh, make it look like it's, you know, really low-slung, sporty, and whatever. So, again, hard to tell for sure until we see it in person. They didn't really give off dimensions in the uh, postings that at least I've read so far about the vehicle. So, I think you just kind of have to assume it's at least as big as a Palisade. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger, but not too radically different. Now, mentioning the Palisade the GV80 is basically going to pick up where the Palisade leaves off. So think, uh, I think a fully loaded Hyundai Palisade runs like $47,000, $48,000, I think. Uh, the GV80 base trim is probably going to start right around fifty dollars to $54,000 and probably run north of seventy dollars if you tick every single option box. Uh, we don't quite know, again, what all of those option versions are going to be here in the U.S., there's still a very good chance that they might only offer one version of the GV80 here and just call it good. Uh, Car and Driver talked about how they think that there could be a variant of this vehicle later on, a cheaper uh, version, a little bit more of a fuel-efficient version that uses the 2.5-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine that's debuting in the Hyundai Sonata N-Line later this year. Uh, that engine makes just under 300 horsepower. Uh, that would be probably a pretty sporty uh, little engine that would work quite well in a large vehicle. But, you know, I think a lot of people are going to want that higher displacement uh, engine to have that torque down low, ready to roll. <clears throat> but, like I said, those things can change uh, depending on where the market ends up. Now, watching the Korean debut video, there were a lot of interesting features on this car uh, that I think are worth kind of touching on, but it's not really confirmed whether or not those will come to the United States at all. One of the first ones that really kind of caught my eye are the turn indicators uh, on the vehicle. Uh, the car has, uh, down the sides, there are vents just ahead of the driver's side uh, door, uh, kind of over as you head towards the hood on the front fender. And these vents are quite large and very prominent on this overall styling of the vehicle. Uh, but when they would indicate a turn in the video, the whole vent would light up as an amber turn signal. Uh, and then when they turn the indicator off, it would go back to being like a chrome element. And this has me wondering if Hyundai has figured out a way to adapt kind of those chrome strips that are from the Sonata sedan 
to the sides of this GV80 to do a similar thing. If you don't quite know what I'm talking about, the headlights of the Sonata sedan kind of melt up over the vehicle. They call it the infinite lasso design on the car. And as they go up the hood, they eventually uh, transition from being a headlight, an LED headlight element, to being a chrome strip. And so the um, light is able to come through the chrome, but when you turn the car off, uh, it goes from looking like a headlight to looking like a chrome strip down to the headlight. It's very cool. It's very interesting. Um, and seeing that applied to a turn signal on the side of a luxury SUV is pretty neat as well. But uh, until you get close to it, I don't think we're going to be able to tell much uh, from photos and video so far. Uh, one of the other cool things is a uh, auto high beam and low beam and headlight feature. Uh, again, not an abnormal thing to see on vehicles uh, these days. You can get auto high beams on, I think, a base trim Toyota Corolla. Uh, but this new system that's in the Hyundai will progressively turn off uh, elements in their LED headlights as another vehicle gets closer to you so that you're not blinding the other driver. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a brand new feature, again, in luxury vehicles, uh, but it's one that definitely is interesting. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, a luxury vehicle have a thing where I think there's like three main LED elements in the headlight. Uh, and so as the car comes closer to you uh, from the opposite direction, it'll turn the auto high beams from high to low. And then as it gets closer and closer, the outer LED elements uh, three and then two will eventually turn off so that you only have one low beam headlight running uh, and then when the car passes it'll go back to three and then high beams so <clears throat> again an interesting design an interesting execution not sure if that's completely legal here in the United States but uh, <coughs> something interesting nevertheless another thing that they were touting in the video uh, was an air purifying system uh, that would automatically, as you're driving the vehicle, be detecting air quality. And so uh, some of the video you can see on the HVC system that it says good. And then it'll say like kind of like okay or bad. And the color will change from like a greenish blue to like a red, an orange or a red. And so you would press um, a button down in the center. And weirdly enough, it kind of looks like the... Uh, the BMW active safety button. Um, I, I don't know really know how to describe how that button looks other than it's very prominent in a lot of their new vehicles in the center of the dashboard. Uh, this little one has like a tree shape in the inside and you would then press that and it would activate an air filtration system uh, to make the air much more clean uh, and presumably smell better. I don't, I don't 100% know. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those luxury things where... Uh, first thing that came to mind was Tesla. Uh, Tesla has talked about how the air filtration system in the Model X uh, is enough to basically prevent like extreme biohazards and chemical weapons attacks uh, from getting inside of your vehicle. It's pretty impressive how powerful that system is. Um, but then I was also thinking of a lot of East Asian countries where pollution is really, truly bad. And, uh, you know, some a feature like this speaks a lot to the kind of lifestyle that uh, the people who'd be buying this vehicle would live. You know, I think of uh, a, a movie like Parasite, for example, the family in that being extremely wealthy, wanting a vehicle that presents a very good image of themselves, and they, they want to have these things that, you know, protect them from the outside world. 
um, this would be the kind of thing to do it. And <clears throat> I don't see any reason why we wouldn't have that uh, feature here in the US, but I don't know if it would necessarily be a feature that they would be promoting in every single case scenario. So uh, that would be <clears throat> interesting to see. Another thing that they kind of talked about was the massage system that's going to be available in the vehicle. Uh, it looks like it is a pretty powerful one. I imagine it's basically ripped right out of the G90 sedan, um, so it probably works in, an, in a relatively similar way, um, but it looks like there's a lot of different different things that you can kind of select on it. And it sounds like you can even do it for the rear passengers, um, which definitely drives up the extreme luxury element of the GV80 in certain trim levels. Overall, <clears throat> I gotta say, I'm very impressed with this vehicle. It looks great. It looks like it sounds great, or at least in the video, it sounded pretty good. Uh, I think this is gonna be a pretty cool luxury SUV to keep an eye on. And I have to wonder to some extent, if this is gonna kind of be like the original Lexus LS, but for the luxury SUV segment. Uh, as much as the new Q7, Q8, GLE, GLS, all these big German luxury SUVs are good at so many things, they are extremely expensive, they are extremely fragile, uh, and they are not the most reliable vehicles out on the road today. And if Genesis can come out swinging and offer a comparably sized vehicle with as good as, if not better than, luxury equipment at a price that's maybe 80, 70, 80% of what the German competitors are, uh, I think it's going to put a lot of other car brands on notice. You know, I'd definitely be worried if I were Cadillac and if I were uh, uh, Lincoln to some extent. Uh, maybe Cadillac more than Lincoln, because Lincoln goes for a com completely different type of customer. Um, but the XT6 is not going to hold a candle to this vehicle in any way, shape, or form. Uh, as much as I do like the XT6, uh, <clears throat> this GV80 really seems to be the business. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to see it in person. Now, the other big announcements that happened... At relatively the same time yesterday, uh, all came out of GMC. GMC, of course, is the professional grade uh, SUV crossover pickup brand at GM. Uh, they do offer a wide variety of dressed up Chevrolet vehicles, and they're going a lot further these days to try to differentiate themselves from Chevrolet by offering vehicles that have a little bit more of a purposeful design and execution uh, that end up giving a much nicer quality and experience uh, to them compared to a uh, similar Chevrolet. Uh, now, the big announcement this week was, of course, the, the new Yukon and Yukon XL are coming. Uh, and based on what we know from the new Tahoe and uh, Suburban, uh, things aren't too dramatically different. Uh, the vehicles are larger, uh, they're longer, they've got a bigger wheelbase, they're meant to carry a lot more people, uh, but also give those people a lot more space. Uh, one of the things that at least stood out to me in some of the videos and photos and stories that I had read <clears throat> is that GM wanted to have a comparable amount of space behind the third row seats in the Yukon XL that'd be the suburban equivalent uh, to that of a midsize sedan. So think of the trunk size of a Toyota Corolla, a Honda Accord, a Chevy Malibu, anything like that. 
behind those rear seats and they pulled it off it is huge with those third row seats up i i'm really blown away uh even in the shorter wheelbase regular yukon it's still quite large with those third row seats up uh they really have gone a long ways to make it a family-friendly vehicle uh for a wide variety of people uh now in terms of the powertrains and other things not too dramatically different. Again, it's the 5.3 liter V8 with a 10-speed automatic. The 6.2 liter V8 will be made available as an option uh, for some of those vehicles. Uh, I think in the Denali trim, it is standard. Again, 10-speed automatic. Uh, you can get it in rear-wheel drive, or you can get it with four-wheel, or excuse me, four-by-four uh, <coughs> powertrains as well. Um, the other big announcement that came out of this thing is that GMC is getting their own unique interior designs. Uh, now the standard uh, Yukon isn't going to be too dramatically different from the Chevrolet counterparts. It's going to have the 10-inch uh, touchscreen on the dash that kind of floats above it uh, as it does in the Chevrolet. Um, it's going to also have an interesting feature that's different from Chevy, which is a movable center dash console. Um, it's actuated with a button that's up on top, uh, kind of above or close to the front windshield. Um, this center dash console can slide back. Um, I think it's like eight or 10 inches. It's pretty far. Um, it's enough to fit a large purse in the center console, and then that can kind of actuate itself back and forth. Um, kind of think of like how, what's a good way to like the Cadillac Q, the GMC, basically all the versions of the MyTouch system that happened a few years ago, where you could kind of flip the screen up, throw some personal belongings in there, close it down, it would lock itself, and like you could like put in a passcode, all that kind of stuff. Kind of similar to that, but instead it's a center console thing that's somehow actuated with that. Um, there's different drawers and uh, little folding things that open up and do different stuff in there as well. So in theory, you could probably put some pretty expensive equipment down into the center of the vehicle, have that thing slide back, and if someone wants to break in, uh, <coughs> they would need a key to be able to move that system to get down in there. Uh, so it's, it's a neat little idea for people who have an active lifestyle, who leave stuff inside their vehicle and have to go do something. Um, it's... A nice little touch, to say the least. Uh, but the other big thing, at least with the special dashboard, is that the Denali trim is getting its very own special variant of the interior layout of these vehicles. The Denali trim will be uh, completely different from the standard Yukon, the even the upland or, or up-level uh, Chevy Tahoes, uh, and just the same way that the new Cadillac Escalade is getting a very different dashboard. Uh, this new one has the uh, infotainment screen inset into the dashboard uh, with a push button shifter system uh, slightly to the left of it. It gives it a much more squared off kind of uh, almost like a window into the dashboard um, with the infotainment and the shifter system. Uh, really opens up the center of the vehicle uh, to give it a much more open usable space. Uh, it looks nice. It's got a crafted kind of sensibility to it. Uh, on the one hand, you know, like I say, when I say it looks nice, like it does, it looks good. But in the photos and video I've seen, I'm not 100% convinced of it being the best way to lay it out. It is a little bit lower down uh, compared to the floating up high thing. So if you do have to look down uh, to change the radio station or do something with the infotainment system, you are actually looking a lot further down. And I don't know if that's necessarily a better thing compared to the higher mount systems. 
<clears throat> but overall, it looks like it has a little bit more of a crafted, luxurious purpose. Uh, those photos and videos um, didn't make it look super great just because uh, the screen was turned off, and so there was a lot of light reflecting on the leather, on the aluminum trim, and then on the screen itself, and it just didn't look 100% right. And I'm going to use right with air quotes there. Uh, it just made it look kind of funky. Uh, it's one of those things where I think you need to see it in person to kind of get an idea of what it looks like. It's kind of been an ongoing trend with a lot of GM products as of late. They look a lot better in person, not in photos and video. So we'll see if this is another case for that. But it is interesting that GM feels that it's worth the time and energy and effort to give each of the SUVs and pickup trucks unique interiors. Uh, that really kind of speaks to the kind of money that a vehicle like the Yukon drives into the brand. Uh, one of the things that they talked about is that the Denali trim specifically for the Yukon makes up 60% of their vehicle sales. That is insane, especially when you consider that the Yukon trim starts well north of $70,000. Uh, sorry, the Denali trim starts well north of $70,000. Uh, that is a lot of money being poured into GM uh, with the margins that they get on those vehicles. Now, uh, they did also talk about the AT4 package, and the AT4 package is going to be coming out to a wide variety of GMC vehicles over the next couple of years. Uh, AT4 is kind of meant to be the GMC version of the Z71 trim, uh, kind of the off-road, ready, uh, maybe not exactly, you know, dirt road, hill climbing, bombing, uh, crazy off-road trim, but one that's definitely meant to have a little more uh, purpose to it than uh, some of the other off-road things that you might see out there today. Uh, so they did show off an AT4 version of the Yukon. Uh, it's got uh, Goodyear Wrangler tires. Gets a little bit more of an aggressive uh, appearance package. It gets like the red tow hooks, a little bit more cladding. Uh, gets some underbody skid plates. Uh, it does get a locking differential on the back axle, um, but it is a one that locks when there's slippage, not one that you can manually lock, which I think is different than the Z71, where the Z71 actually has a locking differential. I might be wrong on that, but I think that's one major difference between the AT4 and the Z71. Uh, there's also an airbag suspension underneath it. Uh, there are a few more off-roady touches in the interior. Overall, you know, it's meant to be something that you got to get up to the cabin on a snowy road, snowy dirt road. Uh, it's going to get the job done, but, you know, it's not going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, like, a raptorized uh, Ford vehicle. Um, that same AT4 trim will also be making it to the Canyon pickup truck, which is somewhat of an interesting thing. Now, if you think of the hierarchy of mid-size GM pickups, obviously you've got the regular base trim uh, Canyon and Colorado, and then you get the Colorado Z71, which again, a little more off-roady, a little more capable. Then you would have, I guess it would be the AT4. The AT4 is meant to be a little more capable than the Z71 in some ways, but again, I don't think it has a locking rear differential. So it's got that slip detected one, which isn't quite the same as the Z71. But then you would have the ZR2, which is the much more off-road capable Raptor-like 
uh, pickup truck, and then you have the ZR2 Bison, which is meant to be more like a, <clears throat> almost like a power wagon type uh, competitor. Uh, the AT4, I heard described at one point as like a ZR2-like GMC thing, but like the more I read about it and heard about it, the more I go, it's basically just a Z71 model. Uh, I mean, all said, it looks really good. Uh, the GMC and even the Yukon 2, like they just look so much better than their Chevrolet counterparts on the exterior alone. Uh, even if the capability might not fully be there, uh, you know, dollar for dollar, Z71 to AT4, the AT4 just looks nicer. And I think it's going to be more usable for more folks day to day. <clears throat> Overall, you know, pretty exciting. But the extension of the AT4 branding is that they were saying that it's going to start going on all GMC models uh, starting in the next year or two. So that means you're going to be able to get a uh, Terrain AT4. You're going to be able to get an Acadia AT4. Um, what exactly those are going to mean, I don't 100% know quite yet. I'm definitely interested to find out what a Terrain AT4 would be. Um, it makes me think of a uh, late model Terrain that I see around here in my neighborhood that uh, has been modified a little bit. It's got like a, a small suspension lift. It's got really aggressive uh, street capable off-road tires. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, it's got some of the wheels and other accents painted in like a matte black color. Uh, it looks good. Like it looks really good. And I go, if GMC can kind of replicate that uh, for a decent price on a terrain, eh, you know, it might not be a bad, you know, kind of a little bit more of a personality driven uh, crossover for the marketplace. So we'll have to see where they go for that. But uh, overall, you know, the new Yukon looks great. Uh, and uh, those should be hitting dealerships uh, by the end of this year as a 2021 model. So we'll have to see one in person to kind of judge it the best we can, hopefully in the not too distant future. Well, over here in the car culture segment, I wanted to touch on an automotive news story uh, that's been kind of been kicking around about car sales to younger people. Uh, for quite a while, we've known that the automotive industry has been on a resurgence since 2012. Um, more cars are being purchased, and as gas sale or gas prices have continued to decrease, a lot of the new car sales are now trending towards crossovers and SUVs. And as that has been happening, more and more vehicles and vehicle lineups are changing to crossovers and SUVs. And, uh, well, it's kind of a weird mix of things that are going on right now between generational economics as well as the industry itself. Uh, a lot of this story centers around the idea that millennials are now reaching the age of uh, their mid to late 30s and some of us are having children finally and because of that our demands for vehicles are changing and we are more prone to buy uh, a new car or truck versus keeping what we currently have. Uh, while that might be the case in some places and in some instances uh, the truth of the matter is that at least for millennials, uh, it is a generation that is stratified in a way that, well, <laughs> I, I guess I don't really see how that's necessarily a strong possibility. Uh, 
you know, there are some millennials who are very wealthy, have inherited money, have an inherited opportunity, uh, and they have the ability to buy a brand new vehicle uh, without thinking twice about it. There are also a very large amount of millennials who, uh, like me, are saddled with a significant amount of student debt and would love to buy a new car, but have to figure out a way to kick out $300 plus a month uh, for a new car instead of, you know, having that $300 plus a month pay for student loans. Uh, there's not really an easy solution to that outside of electing, you know, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren and getting their plan for student tuition reimbursement uh, done. Uh, and that's not going to change for years at this point. Uh, so I don't really see how that slides into this scenario for this financial services company. Uh, at the same time, a lot of millennials are working jobs that pay significantly less than comparable positions to Gen X and boomer aged folks. Uh, those people are holding on to those jobs longer and longer, and when they finally do retire, a lot of companies are not replacing them. Or if they do, they pay a comparable millennial or Gen Z person significantly less in that role. Uh, there has been a lot written about how uh, millennials and potentially Gen Z, uh, they're going to be the generations that for the first time in a very, 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 very long time, are likely going to be less prosperous than their parents and grandparents before them. Uh, it is not a good mix of things for the auto industry. As much as they want to tout that millennials and Gen Z are going to bail them out and start buying new cars and trucks and mass, uh, I, I, I just don't understand where they're coming up with all this kind of stuff. Uh, as much as the paperwork seems to indicate that there's a lot of growth potential. I just, I just don't see anyone I know in their mid-30s, in their early 30s, even in their late 20s, being anywhere close to buying a new car, a brand new car, anytime soon. Now, all that being said, flipping it back to the auto industry itself, uh, car prices are still on the rise. The average Transaction price for a new vehicle uh, was over $36,000 last year. Um, that represents a significant increase uh, compared to 10 years ago. Uh, it is getting to the point now where it's hard to find a new car for less than $30,000 uh, in like a mid-size vehicle. Uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, car makers talk about how, you know, the demand for fuel economy, the demand for safety, the demand for all these different things are driving prices up. When the truth of the matter is, they're looking at balance sheets, sales sheets, and they're seeing that more and more people are buying crossovers and SUVs. And these vehicles have much higher margins compared to smaller cars. And because of that, they know that they can charge more with these vehicles because they are larger, they are perceived to be higher quality, better vehicles, and people are willing to shell out larger and larger amounts of cash for these vehicles. And it just continues to drive that stuff up. And that's why it's so interesting to see brands like Nissan and Hyundai and Kia and uh, Toyota continue to stick to small cars because they understand that young people, specifically uh, younger millennials and Gen Z folks, uh, have zero interest in crossovers and SUVs. They want to buy cars. 
Uh, cars are still the more interesting choice. It's not what their parents drove. Uh, and that's going to be the safe zone when these people come of age to buy brand new vehicles. Uh, and you look at GM and Ford and Chrysler, who are doing the exact opposite. And they're really kind of putting themselves out on, on a, uh, a very thin line uh, in between uh, you know, the, the, the car sales of today and the car sales of 10 to 15 years from now. Uh, they're making some pretty obscene uh, assumptions for short-term gain, uh, but what could be very long-term or very big long-term losses uh, just because that brand loyalty won't be there either. Uh, I, I really genuinely feel, uh, I don't want to use the word disappointed, but uh, I don't even know it's necessarily confused. I just, I have a weird feeling about stories like these that just talk out of their own asses about how the market's going to be changing for new cars and specifically for American car companies because it just, I don't know, I, 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 I guess it feels like as somebody who's in this generation, who's in the thick of things, who's interested in this segment of stuff, uh, I feel stuck because, you know, I can't find the kind of job I want to pay the kind of money I want to be able to buy a new car. So how the hell do they think that I'm going to suddenly have the money to buy one of these things in the next couple of years uh, if and when I decide to have a child? And that's what's deeply concerning. And I know that my case isn't the same as everybody else's who's of around the same age as me, but, uh, you know, at least based on a lot of the car stuff that I read and a lot of the car folks I follow on Twitter and we all talk from time to time, uh... I think we're all kind of in the same boat here, and it's just genuinely not good. And uh, I, I just really hate that stories like this get that kind of traction because uh, we're still in a pretty deep and thick wood for the time being. Uh, and, you know, things might get better next year. Depends on who's president, but uh, it, it's it's a tough road ahead, and I'm I'm not super confident in it at all. So last little thing, talking about uh, car whatever, uh, my dad bought a new pickup truck. Uh, but first, before we get to the details of what kind of pickup truck it is, uh, kind of reflecting on my dad and pickup trucks in general. Uh, I remember being a teenager, still living at home, and talking about what kind of car I wanted to get. And, you know, that's always a thing in my family. I come from a long line of car people. Uh, my grandpa was a Chrysler guy, then he became a Chevrolet guy in the early 60s, and he's pretty much driven Chevys, uh, with the exception of some Hondas and Nissans, uh, ever since. My grandma is into cars, uh, my grandpa's brothers are all into cars, uh, a bunch of them have worked for Ford and Chrysler and GM. Uh, one of the brothers, uh, I think his son, was part of SVO before it became SVT, one of my uncles uh, worked GM development on the Chevy Impala SS. Uh, so there's just a long history of car people. But that conversation with my dad, I remember him saying to me at one point, uh, there's going to come a time in your life where you buy a pickup truck. And he's like, you know, it doesn't really matter if you need it or you want it. Uh, every man has a pickup truck. And... Around that time, I think my dad had had his Chevy Astro for a while, 
And he had had a pickup truck before that, but he had gotten the Astro because he wanted pickup truck capability, but he wanted to have the sealed body just because, you know, you have so many problems with the bed, uh, stuff getting stolen, uh, snow and water and whatever else getting into the back. Uh, It's just hard to maintain. And so he switched to vans for a while. And then eventually the Chevy Avalanche came out. And the Avalanche to him was the perfect pickup truck because it had, uh, you know, the SUV frame underneath it uh, or the the long uh, Silverado, or not Silverado, Suburban frame was beneath it. So it rode a little bit better because it was longer, uh, but it had the Tahoe-style uh, cabin up front. So it had the enough space for uh, five adults to sit quite comfortably up front. Um, but then it had that sealed bed and while it was shorter than a short box uh you know you could still fit most things that you'd be carrying in the back without worrying about it and with that bed being more compact it was fully sealed it had the plastic covers on it that could hold up to like 300 pounds per panel uh all in all it was just a truck setup that worked for him he he did haul and tow things uh he put a lot of stuff in the bed but he never had to worry about it because it was all locked and sealed shut. And if he needed to expand it, it had the mid cape that you could fold down to make it closer to a short bed. Uh, you know, he loved the Avalanche. That was his truck. He owned three of them. Like, the guy really was into the Avalanche overall. And uh, his last Avalanche, the 2014 model, is the last of the Avalanches. It's the Black Diamond Edition. Uh, he had, uh, I think it was an LT model with the all-star package, so I had the, the fancy grill, I had the chrome wheels, you know, it was a really good-looking truck, uh, but by the end of it, it was starting to have some weird issues, and some other weird things were going on, and uh, it was at probably about Thanksgiving time uh, this past year, he was saying, you know, I need to get a new truck, and I was like, well, what are you going to do, because he wanted another avalanche, and so previous Silverado they had come out with the high desert model Uh, the high desert model was uh, a truck that had a spray and bed liner I think it had a sealed cargo cover but it was still a Silverado so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of huge differences between it and a senior truck it just made it look like an avalanche and you know he kind of saw right through that he didn't really feel it was for him it was too uh, street duty, not enough off-road capability, as much off-roading as he does, which is basically driving through the backyard. Uh, he just wasn't convinced for him, so he was ready to wait. And he waited, and he waited, but with the issues coming up on his or his previous Avalanche, the most recent one, uh, he decided, I guess, this week to spring for a 2020 Silverado Z71. Now, what kind of pickup truck trim with the Z71 package to get, I don't know. I haven't talked to my dad. He's not out of work for another couple of hours, so I'm going to give him a phone call and see what's going on. But uh, I'm excited for him. He's, he's been waiting a long time for a truck, and I'm excited that he finally got something like what he wanted. Uh, it sounds like it's a uh, black Z71, so that's pretty interesting because the guy hasn't owned a black vehicle in quite a long time. Uh, the last time I think he had a black car was his first Astro, uh, which would have been one of the square front Astros. Uh, so one of the early design models. Uh, that one was a two-tone with like a black on top, silver on bottom. That was a good looking Astro. Uh, but he always complained 
always, always complained about how dirty it looked, how much he had to wash it, how much he had to take care of it. Um, but as he's getting closer to retirement, I think he's a little less concerned with that because he's going to have the time and energy to take care of the black paint. Uh, but it's just interesting that, you know, one, he broke down and got a regular pickup truck. Uh, I'm assuming it's a fully extended crew cab model. Uh, so it's got the four uh, full doors with the seating and all that stuff. Uh, I don't see why he wouldn't get it in that size specification. Uh, Z71 model gives him the off-road stuff. If he got a 2500 Z71 uh, with the 6.2, I would be surprised. He said he wanted the big V8, but uh, they're not very good looking trucks. So, And I know he's pretty conscious of that, so I don't know if he would have sprung for that particular option. Uh, but at the same time, you know, even a 1500 Z71 with a 5.3 is going to be more than capable. It's going to get the job done. It's going to do more of what he wants to do. I imagine it has the spray and bed liner because I don't think he would buy a truck without it, especially here in Michigan. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm wondering if he got that plastic cargo cover. Again, he's an avalanche guy. He wants that sealed cargo bed, and uh, that would be the big thing for him. So I'm sure if it doesn't have it, I have a feeling he's going to be trying to get that optioned in uh, as soon as possible uh, just because he's just that kind of dude. But uh, I'm very happy for my dad. I'm very proud for my dad. Uh, that he got something new, like what he wanted. And, you know, for the time being, I'm hoping that I can feel the same in the next couple of months. Uh, the new job is a new job. doesn't quite pay enough to be able to buy a brand new pickup truck, but uh, hopefully we can get something organized in the not-too-distant future to uh, get a new vehicle of my own as well. So congrats, Dad. Uh, hope you love your new truck. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisledike. You can follow me on Twitter.com at, uh, well, Twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, we post this thing on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so much more. So uh, if you're out there, just hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, make sure you uh, give us a rating if they ask for that. And uh, if you'd like to share it with other folks, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, in other news, guys, we are, well, without a local Michigan auto show this, uh, well, January. Sounds like the Grand Rapids one doesn't start until February, which is, seems really abnormal. Uh, but calendars get changed around. And uh, nevertheless, I'm excited to see what comes through. So given a couple weeks, we'll take a look at that. I'm sure I'll have lots of things to talk about from that car show. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a... A dead zone still for automotive news uh, until Chicago comes around in early mid-February. So with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then.